집이지. 우리 새로 시작한다고 그랬잖아. 이게 그거야. 아빠는 비가든 하나 만들 거야. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 미국 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma smells like Korea. 야. 뭐라고? 그랜마 스멜? 우리 여기 있다가 망할 거야. 애들을 위해서라도 한번더 생각해 볼수 있잖아. 애들도 한 번쯤 아빠가 뭔가 해내는 거 봐야 될거 아니야. 뛰어라 이놈아. 할머니는 진짜 할머니 같지 않아요. 할머니 같은 게 뭔데? 쿠키도 만들고, 나쁜 말도 안 해고, 먼저 팬티도 안 입고. We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're gonna lose the crop. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Toure and Derek Wong. So tonight we're talking about the newly christened Best Picture nominee, Lee Isaac Chung's Minari. We were actually going to record the night before, but I'm glad we changed our schedule a little bit to accommodate for this film because the Oscar nominations were announced this morning. So we, we can do a little commentary about that. <laughs> I'm really happy that this got nominated for Best Picture. I think it goes around the controversy of best foreign or international non-English language film, which is just kind of a stupid controversy to begin with. But I'm glad that this made it into the best picture running. No, I'm, re I'm really happy too. And it does seem like the, the headline for these Oscar nominations are definitely on the side of you know diversity, right? Um, when it comes to Asian representation. Yeah, big year for Asian representation. You know, we got both Minari and Nomadland represented in Best Picture, but also Best Director, right? For Chloe Zhao and Lee Isaac Chung. Steven Yeun was nominated for Best Actor. Yoon Young Jung for Best Supporting Actress. I mean, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, right? Was also nominated for Best Best Actor. Original Screenplay, we had um, The White Tiger, right? Um, which was by Ramin Barani. Yeah, I'm butchering that probably. But yeah, I mean, this this was a definitely a good year for representation. I think on the Asian side, I mean, I think we could talk a little bit about the snubs and some of those represented in more of like uh, African-American descent that I think were kind of left out. Um, I think most notably Spike Lee and Dale Orlando and Regina King. Yeah, big snubs. <laughs> I remember when we talked about One Night in Miami – both me and Jeff were very certain that uh, Regina King was going to get nominated for Best Director. Yeah, I was so shocked that Regina King didn't get the 
the best director nod here. Yeah, some some weird choices here too, like uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield and best supporting actor. What is that? Who's the lead in that movie then? That's interesting. I always considered Lakeith as the lead. Yeah, that's what I thought. But he campaigned as supporting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm happy for both of them, but at the same time, yeah. I think. I mean, that could have been Delroy Lindo's spot, right? Yeah. Delroy Lindo was great in Defy Bloods. He was really, really good. And, and I, I think that's a big snub. And I, I think I think there's like some category fraud going on around here like every year. But, but it's still a pretty good year for black representation too, though. I mean, snubs aside, right? Yeah. Chadwick Boseman's posthumous nomination for Ma Rainey. You know, that's that's a good one, too. Yeah. Do you think he gets it just because of that? I don't know. Does he have enough? Does, does that carry enough weight? I mean, he won the Globe. I would like to see Reza Med win it for Sound of Metal because I love that film. I think that was yeah. number two on my top movies of the, the year list. But Chadwick Boseman has the precedent with the Globe, so who knows? I think Steven Yuen, I, 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 I love his performance, and I think... It's great that he's nominated, but I think his his win is a long shot. I don't think he's gonna. Okay, his win is a long shot, but did you think he deserves it? Like, would you pick him over Riz Ahmed if you were I, like? No, unfortunately, I don't think so. I guess one other thing on the representation side is that I think this is like the first time in I don't know how many years. I don't know what the stat is. Where like, or is this maybe the first time that two women have been nominated? Yes, first time ever. Yeah, two women have been nominated for best director, and that's. Uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. So I think that's great. Like, I mean, we're, I think, what, six years removed from the, you know, the Oscars so white thing kind of sparked the transition to like a new voting body and then a younger voting body, I believe, and a more diverse voting body. But then, you know, now we're kind of starting to see some of those balls rolling, right? And, you know, this year definitely feels pretty good um not not just for like asian representation but just you know yeah, representation it's a, in general. it's a big step forward i mean i would have liked to see regina king in emerald Fennell's place i don't really think promising young woman deserves a spot in achievement in directing i i just don't i like the movie but i don't know it's got like cute little pop songs and some some directorial flourishes that kind of hide its more obvious flaw i'm not flaws just mm-hmm. I think all of the other uh, nominees here like outshine that movie by a lot. Like even Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round is is fantastic, and I think it I think it's better than Promising Young Woman. I didn't really like Mank, but I think the directorial effort on that is quite impressive. Yeah, one once quote unquote snub I've seen is some people thought that Aaron Sorkin should have been nominated as director for Trial. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I don't <laughs> agree with that at all. Not I'm, I'm not happy, but I'm not like upset that he wasn't um, nominated in this category. Our main topic tonight, actually, is we are going to be reviewing Minari. And maybe to transition and kind of close out the discussion about Oscar nominations, like, do you see any of these categories being taken by Minari at all? Or like, where do you think it has its best shot? I think directing is tough i think the one to beat is chloe zhao's nomadland a hundred percent yu jun jung has a chance in it as best supporting actress uh i mean i would say maybe i would say maybe i would say, I'd maybe. say maybe yeah the biggest competition may be amanda seyfried i don't know 
I know people love her in Mank. You don't think it's Maria Bakalova? <laughs> I like that. People love that role. I like that performance, but I don't think this is like a Academy type performance oh, that yeah, they usually I, go for. I agree. It just isn't isn't their thing. I hate to say it, but Glenn Close is up there. I think a lot of people are are lobbying her for to win her first Oscar. Her Oscar's long overdue. I just hate her win to be for Hillbilly Elegy, which is a dog shit movie. But I don't know. I would like to see Yu Jung Yoon win for Minari. But yeah, who knows? Would you like Minari to take Best Picture? I mean, I personally, I still love Sound of Metal more. Mm. That's like one of my favorite movies of last year, too. So, I mean, I want a lot of praise to go to that movie. I wouldn't mind it, you know, winning Best Picture. I, I wouldn't mind Riz Ahmed winning for Best Actor. I actually really would love to see Paul Racy win for Best Supporting Actor, even though yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm so glad he got the nomination here. Yeah. Because he got snubbed in other places. He's really good in that. He's so good in that movie. So I, I do think Daniel Kaluuya is the one to beat. Yeah, that's yeah, my feeling too. So it's like... Like we, like we said in the Judas episode, I don't think Lakeith Stanfield's... I mean, he's good, but like he's not like Oscar good in that, I don't think. Well, it's also not as in your face. Yeah, it's not. Daniel Kaluuya gets the nice, big, like fat speeches... And he gets to play the charismatic young firebrand and the kind of straightforward hero of the piece. And McKeith Danfield plays this, like, I don't know, guy who's hard to pin down and just difficult to root for. And the role's just, it's good, but it's its subtle. It's not as meaty, I think. Not as showy. I guess the last one is, I mean, do you think it has a shot in the original screenplay, Minari? Uh, I think it does. I don't know. I feel like this might be the one that Promising Young Woman could take if it's going to take anything at this Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a toss-up. It's really hard to tell. I'm not like a a real thorough Oscars pundit, so I can't... I probably like would botch all my predictions, but <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, I like Minari more than Promising Young Woman, I think. So it's interesting to me this is your favorite movie of last year, but you're, it seems like you're pulling for Sound of Metal in every category. I'm not pulling for Sound of Metal, per se, I think. I mean, I'm not saying it's inconsistent. I'm just saying, like, what tease out, like, the difference there between, like, best picture and picture you want to win the Oscar in that category, right? Yeah. Like, I think there is a distinction there, but I just, I'm not sure what it means for you between those two movies. I think Sound of Metal is a better acting showcase, I can't really single out one standout performance in Minari, even though I like all the performances. I just think Riza Med is phenomenal in Sound of Metal, and, and Paul Racy is, is great in, in the supporting actor role. But there's this specificity to Minari that like resonates with me that, I mean, obviously Sound of Metal doesn't. Like, I'm not going deaf. I can't, I, I can't relate to that experience at all. But this this child of Asian immigrants, that story is one that that really touches me personally. So I think I think that's where my my push and pull on this on this comes from, right? So yeah, let's let's get into Minari then. So the I mean the basic kind of structure of the story is that uh, Stephen Yoon plays Jacob, and he is the the patriarch of this you know Korean immigrant family that is moving from i guess has moved from korea that they lived in california for a while now are moving to arkansas Mm -hmm. 
basically bought this farm and he wants to start a new life here. But what kind of follows him is, you know, some of the marital problems that he's been having with him and his wife, but also his son also has a a heart condition. And it's really a drama about kind of... um, It's about chasing the American dream as an immigrant family. And this is what I think is really funny because I don't think there's a more like really American movie than this last year. And I feel like putting it in international feature or or foreign language film is, is definitely like category fraud. I mean, this is an American story, right? It's about a Korean American family learning to assimilate into the most American of American places like rural Arkansas, right? Moving from California to Arkansas, this guy who's trying to, keep his family together who's trying to make something of of himself that's the american dream right that's basically what every american strives for and just because a bunch of the movie isn't in english i mean come on and the director's american so is this star yeah so is a star steven yun is is american uh korean american so just to switch gears a little bit i i just think this movie like really resonates with me like i'm the child of asian immigrants my my parents came here in the 80s with like no money in their pockets they're from shanghai from china and and i understand what that's like right um and this story just really hits me in a personal place and like i really love this movie definitely my favorite movie of last year i don't know about what, what you guys thought i liked it a lot i don't know about my favorite movie of the year i'd have to think about yeah that. but i definitely enjoyed it and what is the thing that makes a film be like in that like international category? Like, what's the criteria? I don't think there is one. I think they saw how much of this was actually not spoken in English, and then directly just thought, "Oh, this is a foreign film, right?" Because its cast is mainly of Asian cast. It's mostly spoken in Korean, so like anyone who doesn't actually understand the movie or like sees the you know that the like jeff said the director is american the the actual star is american that it's being produced by like an american company like it's it's fucking brad pitt's company right like yeah plan b (laughs) yeah so it's like how how is this an international film it makes no sense to me yeah i think the only argument you can make is the language one right and i guess that's the question what is the category because the category was formerly known as best foreign language film right up until last year. So in that case, it would have made sense. I think it's like the Academy's vibe or mood that determines these categories. I don't think there's any sort of criteria whatsoever. More of this is in English than in Inglorious Bastards. You know that, right? Like, Get out of here, really? Yeah, more of this movie is in English than that. And that's a Quentin Tarantino movie. And like that was 100% an American film and counted towards Best Picture in 2009 or, or 2010 when the when the academy awards were for that year right uh well let, let's spin back a little bit let's not get confused like let's uh no, just because the the academy did not categorize this as an international film right it, it's not in the international feature race it's in the best picture race it's it's other voting bodies like right, 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 right. Uh, like the you know the globes and 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 such that have put it in that international category so um, I know we were just talking about the Academy Awards. Like, don't get that wrong. You know, it's not international feature for Academy Awards. It is in the Best Picture race. It is being recognized as an American film, according to the Academy. Yeah. 
And I, and I think that's right if the category is international. I think maybe if the category is foreign language film, then it would make sense. But like you're saying, Jeff and Glorious Bastards. Wasn't yeah, they didn't categorize foreign that as language, foreign language, right? So then that's really inconsistent. It's just maybe one of those things where you're right. There's just no real standard of consistency. It's just kind of what they feel like. Yeah. Man, wasn't Glorious Bastards really had that much foreign language in it? That's wild. Yeah, there's a lot of German, a lot of French. I myself also love love this movie. I am like Jeff. I'm, uh, you know, a, a child of uh, immigrants from Hong Kong. Uh, so both my parents are also Chinese, and you know, a lot of this resonated with me. You know, I'm, you know, my family didn't grow up on a farm, and we're not Korean Americans. But a lot of the same intricacies that you saw in this movie, I definitely resonated with. The the, the idea of like the the grandma that watches you right when you're young, drinking of this disgusting liquid because it's good for you. I can list out all these other things, but yeah, like this thing hit me at a different level than I think most movies do. But I think, Jeff, you're right, where it feels so much more, if you know, put this in air quotes, like American than other, I think, Asian representation films I've seen, right? Of mm-hmm. like, uh, especially things like, you know, uh, Crazy Rich Asians or The Farewell. I think those leaned a little bit more on the trying to show like Asian representation. Versus this is very much Asian representation in a very holistic, like Americanized mm-hmm. viewpoint. And But I do struggle to call this movie like about the American dream because I don't think, I don't know. I, I struggle with that because I think the characters don't really ever, Stephen Young's character doesn't use like the excuse like I'm trying to make like our lives better. You know, like we're getting into spoilers here. But like his character never falls on on that excuse too hard, and it just seems like I don't know if Lee Isaac Chung was so interested in the idea of the American dream uh, as much as this is more of just like a family drama, just that happens to be taking place in America. I don't know. I I think it doesn't really even mention the American dream for it to be about it, right? Like I think. Jacob's struggle is is definitely something very real for a lot of Americans where they struggle to not only provide but like to make a name for himself right because this whole marital strife in this movie is Jacob's wife Monica she's content with the life that they had in California but Jacob doesn't want to spend the rest of his life as chicken sexers which is such a specific uh profession I think right yeah it is and I think it's just so funny and so specific. He wants to move to Arkansas and he wants to to build a farm from like his from his bare hands and and this this movie Minari Minari is like a Korean uh, water plant right and and it, it's resilient plant it grows anywhere and it's really versatile you can use it in in broths as garnish as as whatever so many different uses for this and the the thing about it is is that it's so resilient right so it's like this metaphor for like assimilation and like how perseverant like the immigrant can be, right? And I think that's what speaks to the Americanness of of this of this movie. And like you know, America's like made up of immigrants, right? So like I think I think that's what speaks to to me at least. So I think it can be an American film, 
without being about the American dream, if that makes sense. Like, I think yeah. Jacob in the picture is the only one really chasing the American dream. Right, right, And, like, right, the right. rest of the family is kind of, like, dragged along in his wake, right? Whereas, like, I care a lot is, like, very clearly about the American dream and trying to say something about, like... Capitalism. And- yeah, it's, like, a very... And, and I don't know if it's maybe just because it's cynical that it feels like more of a message, but it feels like Minari... Yeah, it's more about the immigrant experience and, like, not to say that's not an American experience, but maybe it's not the, I don't know, stereotypical American dream that... I just, I I think I struggle with it because I just don't know if it's wholly, like, is it on us to be, like, we monopolize the idea of wanting to move somewhere else to, like, further our our lives? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if this didn't take place in America, if, like, he moved from, like, Korea to Japan or... Korea to like England, you know, it still could be the same story and it wouldn't be considered the American dream, right? It'd just be like him trying to better his his life, but also his like family's life. So that's why yeah, I, I struggle sure. a little bit calling it like the American dream. Like I just, I hate that term sometimes. Um, well, you should have started with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other, but that's, I mean, I guess if we're getting the spoilers here, like, and, and Amir's already kind of alluded to, like, that's the the thing I, I really loved about this movie was that there's kind of that where do you find that balance between striving for a, a better life versus, you know, the life that you have or appreciating what you have already and, and trying to to make sure that is, you know, whole and and set. And I think that's the the real struggle between, you know, both Jacob and Monica's character in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Monica really represents the family, you know, wanting to make sure that her son is is fine, right, and and great, and that her mom is, you know, is is taken care of. Versus, it does seem like Jacob's character is solely really concentrated on his farm, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that the character itself never seems to resort to the typical like I'm doing this for the family, right? You don't really hear those words really come out of Stephen Yoon's character. Well, I mean, he says it, but there's no emphasis on it, I think. Yeah. So who's right? Who's right? Jacob or Monica? <laughs> I think that's that's an interesting question. I guess it's how you read the end of the movie. like Because it does seem like by the end of the movie, Monica has switched sides and is okay with, you know, trying to build up this farm again. I don't know. I think it's just in the wake of the fire... I mean, we're really getting into spoiler territory here, but, like, I don't think that it sells it as, like, a permanent reconciliation of any... It's, like, a bittersweet ending, I think. Yeah. I think there's, like, a reconciliation there, but who knows, like, how long that's gonna last, and, like, her, her resentment is, like, very deeply rooted, and I don't think, like, just one traumatic incident's just gonna erase that resentment that she feels, right? But it does say something that, that they do come together at at the end and like it is it is a hopeful ending i mean even though there is like the the tragedy of the basically his crops being destroyed by the fire at the end of it that was rough that was rough but i'm i'm just saying like i'm glad that it was just like his his storehouse it wasn't like all his, of whole his crops farm. right yeah his whole yeah farm. yeah but yeah i mean switching gears a little bit i think this movie is a lot funnier than i thought it was gonna be yeah um i think there's a lot of comedy between between the grandma and 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 David, who's played by uh, Alan Kim, I, I think it's very very funny, and I I think I see a lot of myself in David too, because when I was a kid, I had I had my grandmother stay with 
stay with us. And I didn't like it either. I didn't like that she didn't speak English. And like, I think there's like this foreignness that as like a minority in this country, you try to escape. And like when your grandparents come, it's like, oh, she's bringing more of that foreignness into your life. And you're like trying Mm -hmm. to get away from that. So you bristle against that, right? And I, I didn't put pee in my grandma's cup. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I definitely said mean things to her. Right? Like, well, why, why, why are you even here? You don't need to, like, watch me. Why don't you go back to China or whatever? Which is definitely mm-hmm. what, what David says. And, and it's not until, like, you've grown up that you realize that all of these people, the older generation, they're doing this for us, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's, like, this message that Lee Isaac Chung is trying to to convey at one point where it's like you don't realize until it's too late or you're you're old that like all the struggles that your parents went through and i i think that's that's like a universal message that doesn't it doesn't just apply to like immigrants or minorities right i think Mm -hmm. that's that's a beautiful message and 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 bittersweet too man dave david seemed so young to me to be having that kind of push and pull between like the foreign side and the american side how old is he in this movie how old is he supposed to be how old is alan kim i gotta look this up now i guess 10 i'm gonna guess i guess the timeline of the story is that they they've been in california for 10 years before they moved to arkansas so he's eight i think the character of david is probably less than 10 because it sounds like he was born here has never met his grandmother that's right yeah because they say that uh Oh, yeah, he's finally going to meet his grandma. So, I would put him probably in that range, probably like eight or nine or seven or eight or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like when he when they were filming, he's probably, what, six or seven, so. But no, I it's, it's really interesting because I see a lot of my own grandma in the grandma character in, in this movie. But I also see none of my grandma in this character because it is so – and I, I love how the character is written. It's like – it's quite quirky, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. She's this very specific character. She's not like yeah. a generic grandma yeah. uh, out of out of like central casting, which is part of David's problem, right? Yes, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you're not a grandma. You don't like bake or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's like teaching him to play cards and like cur- cussing him off or whatever. Yeah, she's like, take that, you bastard! While they're playing yeah. <laughs> the cards, is so funny. funny. And then making fun of the fact that he like peed his pants. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's like broken ding dong, broken ding dong. That was so funny. Yeah, yeah. So I I love the intricacies that I can still recognize my grandma in this in this character, but not recognize my grandma at all. And I, I think it's it's kind of refreshing because I think the tendency would be to like create something so general that it would like you know anyone can connect with it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like I think he took a risk where like someone would be like, oh, that's not my grandma. I don't see any of my grandma in this person and. And, it, you know, I can't relate to it, but I definitely can uh, on so many different levels that I really appreciate the role and and the, the actress that – and honestly, like, I, I totally understand why she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this role. I don't, I don't think people talk about this enough, but I think the actress that plays Monica, Han Ye-ri, and the daughter, uh, Noel Cho, as Anne, I think they're really great, too. They're not getting mm-hmm. that much attention, but like, I think Noel Cho is really great as like the big sister character. Like, I I get like the big sister vibes from her performance, and I, I do like that a lot. And I think Hanye Ri is really great as Monica too. I think she oh, yeah. gets like her icy resentment, like it's like festering, right? And like you can you can feel it. And I I I do feel like they should get a little more recognition that they have. 
the the problem is Anne is so peripheral. She's she is, very she is. much like she's not in it enough. The, to, the yeah. less focused on child, um, and you know, I don't know if that's part of the narrative of her being older and she's not been sick. She's on a heart condition, but mm-hmm. it's always David, 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 David. Don't run, David. This, David, that. Um, you know, getting David to drink the tea, getting David to do whatever. So it's 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 not Anne's movie or maybe even Anne's family. I don't know. David gets soaks up the lion's share of the attention. Yeah, and I think a character that even gets more clout in this movie and more of a an arc, if you were to call it, that is uh, Will Patton's Paul, right? And he's not right. really even part of the family. But I loved seeing Will Patton in this role. Like I didn't recognize him at first, and I didn't realize who he who it was until like you know a couple scenes in. And I, I love this role for him, right? This What a quirky dude. Yeah. And I think any other movie would have made him, you know, he is kind of the outcast in this movie and he's seen as one in society. But like, I love the heart kind of warming nature of this family to kind of accept this person mm-hmm. as he is. And I just like, that's what I love about this this movie. And I love about that character that he's just so, he is quirky. He is a little bit weird, but he at heart is such a good person that you you as a I think as an audience fall in love with that character too. I was worried in this movie that like they would do something where someone just turns out to be a big dumb villain and yeah. like you know does something super racist or like does something super unwelcoming and that never really happens. That shoe never really drops. No. Which I think I really appreciate. It was nice to just see like the conflict of the family be internal mm-hmm. and yeah. be about, you know, their intra-family conflict and not about them overtly fighting racism. Well, there's that little scene in the church where the kid's like, oh, like, why is your face so flat <laughs> or whatever? Well, there's also the, the the part where the girl's like, hey, if I say a word, let me know if I said a word in your language. And, you and know, she starts like, with like, ching, ching, ching. I know. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, dude, that was rough. But even that isn't like malicious, right? Yeah, I think it's just kids being yeah, dumb. Yeah, kids being dumb, yeah. Yeah, like I think it's just kids being stupid because that kid ends up being his friend later on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He stays at that kid's house uh, overnight. Yeah, and that was actually the moment when we met the dad that I thought we were going to get that little, maybe little bit of racism. But even but that, that guy was- either, yeah. That never happens either. Like I was like, hey, go help your dad. Like, you know, I hope I hope your dad, you know, yeah, I, it succeeds on his farm. Like I- do love that point about this movie that it never stoops as low as as to you know create like this racist villain or this racist ra- racist society around them. I, I think that is something to be commended. I it was it was refreshing to not have that have have that uh, have that gun go off. Right? It was, it was, it was nice. a little fucked up that he was like, oh, the last person who owned your farm killed himself, and he was yeah, just I know. Yeah. Little- <laughs> Shoot yourself in the head motion, right? Then. I like that though. Like the dad's yeah, clearly yeah, yeah. an inappropriate, fucked <laughs> yeah, up guy, yeah. right? Like he's telling his son to lie to his mother about where he's been all night and stuff. Like, yeah. He's not yeah. a good. He's not uh, just because he's not a racist doesn't mean he's a hundred percent stand up guy, right? <laughs> yeah, and and all the racism here is like it's just rooted in ignorance, right? It's not like coming from like oh people out to like hurt them and and like mm-hmm. the people in the church are like oh you're so cute and stuff like that. And like that's a little racist too, right? Just because like. Monica doesn't look like all the other churchgoers. So like, oh, yeah. they're so cute, right? I mean, that's that's like a little microaggression there too. But like, I think they're trying to be welcoming, though. I don't think yeah, they're, they're like, trying to be welcome. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. don't think they're like 
No, but I mean, it's. I, I think it's like subconscious. I think a lot of maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't read too much. I didn't think it was like. Oh, I didn't read that much into it either. But like, I, I just think it's the, the awkwardness of like being of integrating into a new culture. Where I mean, I don't. I don't think. I mean, if you want to count the cards in racism, I mean, I think the most <laughs> racist thing probably said in this movie was probably the grandmother, like, making fun of the people that were fat, right? Because I know that yeah. in Asian culture, I mean, I do think – I know for a fact that, like, you know, they think Americans are just, like, obese and and fat and, like, that's something to be made fun of. So, like, if anything, it's it's the Asians in this movie that are the most racist. Crazy racist Asians. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the other – I don't know if you guys want to keep going on that topic, but I think the other gun I'm glad they didn't fire was David's heart condition. Yes. Yeah. Really glad they, I don't know, zigged when they could have zagged there or you know, vice versa. I don't know which one. But they didn't ever play that card, which I really liked. I really liked how that whole storyline played out. Um, I liked it a lot because from the beginning of the movie, you're like on tenterhooks thinking, oh, God, I'm going to kill this fucking cute kid. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fucking awful. Right? Like, just all that, oh, David, don't run, David, don't run. And his grandma, like, being like, oh, you know, he's stronger than you think he is, and encouraging him to run, and, like, playing, I'm just like, something tragic is going to happen to this fucking kid. And it, and it it doesn't really, not in the way you're thinking, so. And they, they don't really do that with a grandma, either. Like, I, I for sure thought she was going to die. Um, I mean, she has a stroke, but, like, mm-hmm. they, have, they have her survive, too. So, it, it, definitely very subverted in, in its tropes, and I, I, I really do appreciate that. It felt real because of that. It felt like you didn't know yeah. necessarily which way the story was going to go between David's heart condition kind of starting to repair itself and then, you know, the big blowout fight and then the fire. Like, this is just back-to-back-to-back stuff where you're like oh okay i didn't see any of this coming from the first you know 30 minutes or so of the movie yeah J- jacob should have been like see we should stay on the farm it's clearly healing david's yeah, heart or whatever right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said he said to t- keep doing what we're doing another thing that i was quite impressed by the movie and something that i found quite surprising was i'm not used to seeing asian leads have marital issues right i, I think that there is sometimes a stigma with Asians that, you know, we are maybe a little too stubborn to even get a divorce, right? Like we would just kind of stick through it and we would see these this Asian couple kind of struggling and at the end pretty much almost basically deciding that they were going to separate. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, they're really going to separate. It's not until, you know, we had the tragedy on the farm and then, you know, there is that, like Jeff said, that hopeful ending that maybe they can, you know, reconcile with each other. And at least by the end of the movie, they are still working together to keep this family together and keep the farm going, right? Yeah, and and the big tragedy is like, it's really sad and like, I I really, it really got me, but like, it's not an insurmountable tragedy, right? Like, no one got hurt, no one died. It didn't even like destroy all of his crops. It was really just the the storehouse that had like all the the crops in it. So like you can definitely see them come out of this and like perhaps like just replenish their their storehouse, right? Or 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 their the the crop house, you know. So it's not insurmountable, I don't think. No, and I think the like you said, the end of the movie leads to hope. And I think yeah. So the other, I guess, aspect of it because you're talking about the marital strife. Is how like tender the marriage can be too, like that scene where Monica's like washing Jacob's hair in the tub, 
It's like some of the most like intimate, like touching stuff I've seen in on film in a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's busting his ass out there on this farm, which she like doesn't give a shit about and thinks it's a stupid idea. He comes in all like stiff and messed up from all that work and he can't even take his own shirt off and she like helps him undress and washes his hair for him. He can't get his hands up there. I think it's a good, I think, I don't know, it's a great scene and it shows you like, hey, like this marriage, like it's on the rocks, but it's not all bad. There's good moments and these are like real people really trying to make it work. Like his suggestion that they go to church, like, you know, the, uh, the compromise they reach about her mother coming to live with them. Um, it's all very like human stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I really like it. And and speaking of that, like I don't know if you guys know this, but like one of the most beautiful shots in this movie is when Jacob is is having that smoke and and like the the blue dusk. Right, he's just like standing there smoking a cigarette. But like Stephen Young didn't even know they were filming there. It was like at the oh. end of like his most grueling day shooting. So they kind of like snuck up on him and they were like shooting him in secret. That was the shot that ended up in the movie. And I, I think that's great. He's like squatting down like a lot of Asian dads do, right? And and that's one of the most, most gorgeous shots in the whole movie. I, I, I think it's like so serendipitous. I, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. That's a cool little fact. Thank you. Yeah, I think there are a lot of like little touching moments that, that are great. Like Monica bursting into tears just from... Um, Sunja bringing like yeah, the food from the chili Korea. Powder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like a familiarity from home. Like, yeah, not even just, like California, she... but like Korea, all the way back from like where you're where you're actually from, right? And and she just hasn't seen that in so long. That she's like, oh, you can't even get the good stuff from Texas. We tried, and it was shitty, and we drove like five hours for it. And she's just so like alone and homesick, and like yeah, yeah, and like her mom coming, and she's just like on the verge of tears, just having her mom there with her oh yeah that moment was so tender too when they they see each other for the first time in like you know like probably like 10 years or whatever and and i I, like that moment got to me so i feel like i like the first half of this movie more than i like the second half hmm oh that's interesting i would say i like the second i I liked it more when the the grandma actually entered into the picture yeah into the picture and then we actually got more of like the the paul character like i really loved i don't know i i really loved in this movie so i do miss the grandma's personality in the second half i think that does a lot to like elevate the movie and i think i mean obviously she had a stroke but like it was a presence that i i kind of missed once once she went into the hospital right and yeah but what was she doing with the fire at the end? Was that just like a byproduct of the stroke where she doesn't know what she's doing? Or was she actually trying to do something? Isn't that the trash they were burning? Is yeah. she burning the trash? Well, but like, you, I think uh, she I mean, I think she overloaded the trash and were you just clumsy. Su- were they yeah. supposed to burn the trash? Is that what they're yeah, supposed to do? They are. Oh, they are? Oh, I had no idea. Because Monica and Anne have a conversation about it. And Anne's like, oh, oh do we have yeah, to burn yeah, our yeah. trash forever out here? And Monica's like, yeah, this place sucks. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, right? Because I don't think there's a trash person coming to pick up the trash. So that's what they do, right? They burn their trash. I missed that. So I was like, oh, she's like burning this trash for no reason. <laughs> so I guess there's no place to throw out the trash. All right. That, that makes sense. Uh, I, I, I missed that. I mean, that leads to the great scene where like, you know. David's character like runs after his grandma and like yeah 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 
I think a lot of the emotional beats like really worked for me. Yeah, this. it really um, landed for me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I think this is a great movie. I'm you know I'm so happy we're doing this for this podcast, but I'm I'm so happy that it got you know a lot of good recognition from from the Oscars. And hopefully that means more people will try to seek it out, right? And try to watch this movie um, because I think it definitely deserves to be watched. Yeah, we we really missed uh, Stephen Yun and Alan Kim like on the red carpet. I really would have liked to see that that duo, mm-hmm. right? That would have been real cute. But I think uh, the pandemic's pretty much gotten in the way of that. Yeah, I don't know if I like this new award cycle just because of this pandemic. It's like going all the way to April. I think the discourse is like so exhausting, and we still mm-hmm. like a month and a half and left. Drawn out because of <laughs> yeah, it's so drawn out, and it's also like there's I don't know I have less of an awareness of it too. I feel like like the globe just kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize that the nominations were actually coming out right already, and this is terrible. I mean, I didn't even know the Grammys were last night. I mean, that's like a totally different subject, but like I, I saw all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I saw these like Grammy talking like, wait, it was the Grammys. Um, I think it's just like with, without all the red carpet stuff and like all the, like the normal schedule. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really out of sync. But like all the ratings on these, on these award shows are shit. They're like dog shit. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the Golden Globes is like the worst in, in like ever. Um, no one watched that shit. And then people were saying like, oh, the Grammys look like it took place in a high school auditorium. That's why I'm like, I'm super happy about these nominations, right? Like, I think it's, it's a win. But what I'm afraid of is that it's gonna, it's coming in a year that I feel like it's gonna be one of the least seen Oscars, right? Like an asterisk year. Yeah. 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 Most people haven't seen any of these movies, right? If you want to support this movie, it's on VOD and everything. So, so check it out. You guys should should uh, definitely see this. It's one of my favorites from last year, and I loved it. It was great. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, I think that will conclude this week's episode. We actually got an email last week. Oh, which I didn't mention about our most influential TV episode from. Well, that was a while so ago. Far back. Alan Thomas wrote to us. He said. I just caught up on your pod from last year about influential TV episodes. Great discussion. Am I to understand that you started Battlestar Galactica with episode 33? Technically, what you said is true, that it's the first episode of the series proper, but there was a miniseries that preceded it. At the beginning of the miniseries, all the humans are still alive, and the silence have yet to attack. Did you take it as an in-media res type deal and just pick it up on the situation on the fly? That sounds confusing. And he also said, personally, I would recommend... New viewers start with a miniseries, but I would actually recommend them to stop after Resurrection Ship Part 2. You do that, it's a good tidying ending point, and you've just watched a perfect TV series. If you continue past (laughs) it, there are some individual moments that are good, but it gets pretty iffy, in my opinion, starting with the very next episode, when the president gets cured with magic Cylon blood. (laughs) Interesting email. Wow. So I, uh, I mean, uh, if you haven't seen the show, I haven't right? seen it, so I have no idea what he's talking about. But is that right? There was a thirty-three episode miniseries. No, 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 no. no. The ep- the first episode's titled thirty-three. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wait, what is he saying then? So we talked about thirty-three, but we didn't mention the miniseries. But I, I emailed him back. I said we were definitely aware of the miniseries. We, we, we both definitely, me and Amir, we've watched the miniseries, but. 33 was the episode we wanted to talk about, so we kind of just mm. skipped over the miniseries. I see. 
I also said that I don't really agree that the show should have stopped at Resurrection Ship Part 2. That was the season finale before, like, the new Caprica stuff and, like, the Pegasus and Galactica rescue. Yeah, that stuff is actually all good. It's good. And then, like, you're missing out, like, on, like, seasons four and five, which are pretty... The, mu- the mutiny and the all mutiny that, right? The mutiny is so good. I love the mutiny. But, I mean, there's no accounting for taste, right? So... I mean, I, I I don't disagree that if you end there, it's a good series. It's, like, very, very good. But I think you're missing out on some stuff. I mean, definitely more consistent if you end it there. But but you are missing enough good episodes, I would say, just plow through and watch it all. I was going to ask, would you also recommend that people watch this miniseries also? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, it's technically the first two episodes of the series, right? Cause like, I see. It was like a movie. It was like a TV movie, kind of. It was like a two-part thing where they did that to introduce the show. But 33 is technically season one, episode one, but it's semantics. Okay. Good show, though. Cool. Uh, Jeff, where can people find you? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. Uh, What about you guys? Uh, You can find me, for now at least, right here on the podcast. And what about you, Derek? You can find me at the wrong day, day spelled D-A-Y-I-K, and that's for Instagram and Twitter. Uh, but if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to many more people. And if you guys have any questions, comments, suggestions on Lee Isaac Chung's Minari, please feel free to shoot me an email. We like reading email out on the pod and we love to hear from you so feel free to shoot us a line at jeff at strangeharbors.com great to hear from our listeners next week we will be talking about normally we don't say what we're talking about but we know what we're talking about next week and we are going to be talking about Zack snyder's cut of justice league the snyder cut right the snyder cut i'm excited i don't i don't know yeah but I, I'm also not uh, extremely hopeful. But uh, if anything, hopefully it's going to be an interesting talk for us. Yeah. Uh, expect it to be five hours long. <laughs> <laughs> and just all gushing praise. No criticism <laughs> at all. We're going to have nothing bad to say about this movie. Spoiler alert. My thoughts are already on the site. So, like, if you yeah, want to so check it out early review. if you want to. Yeah. You're going to have to wait for me and Amir's thoughts, though. <laughs> sure, they will be spicy, as always. All right. Well, I think that will end our show. So we'll see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. Yeah, see you guys next week.